Um, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for, gosh, your, your patience, your grace. We thank you for how you have pursued us. You've called us in, Lord, calling us back to our first love, knowing that we were created in fellowship with you, created to know you and walk with you. And Lord, uh, in our sin, we rebel. We've, we found separation, but in your great love and in Christ, we have been restored. And so whether, uh, whether you're in this room, whether we're in this room today, having made that confession and walking that for a long time, or this is all new and we don't even know what any of this means, I pray, Lord, that your truth would just penetrate hearts. I pray that your love would be uh, just abundantly clear, God, and to see that the, the call to surrender and obedience is the, is the kindest call you can make. Lord, as your word says, it is your kindness that calls us to repentance. And so, Lord, right now, let us be humbled right where we're at, whatever our, our journey is that has led us to today. And Lord, let us be confronted by your truth and by your grace. And Lord, uh, be, be radically changed. So we submit all this to you today. Uh, speak through me in spite of me. Um, I give you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, question comes to mind. What kind of life are you living? I ask myself that. What kind of life am I living? You know, is, is it a life of purpose? Is it a life that's having an impact? Is it a life that's fulfilling? Is it a life that's helping? Is it a life that's satisfying? We all worry about that. We all, we all think of that, whether in those terms or not. Some way, shape, or form, we all worry about that. Um, and we're not the only ones. Everyone. I mean, not just people in this room, everyone. A quick search of, of the Google can show you how much people think about this. And I just pulled up a couple of quotes, and I'll tell you who they're from. Um, I, maybe you know them, maybe you don't. First one is, are you really living life, or are you just paying bills until you die? Cited. Couldn't figure it out, so we'll give that one to the Internet. All right, so the Internet said that. Um, if you're not living, I mean really living, you're already dead, Albert Niemöller. Living like, a, living like an empty shell isn't really living, no matter how many years it may go on. The heart and flesh of an empty shell give birth to nothing more than the life of an empty shell. That's deep. Haruki Murakami. There's a lot more like that. Everybody, everybody thinks about this. So the question is, what is my life about, or, or what kind of life, again, am I living? And today, we're going to step into those waters. We're going to continue our, our series we've been working through this summer. We've been calling it Foundations. We're working through our, our 10 core statements, our statements of belief that we hold as a church, kind of on the, the foundational understandings of, of, of the Christian faith. So we come today to the statement about Christian living. The way of life for those who are in Christ. The way of life for the people of Jesus. So how about we just go ahead and start with it. We'll read this and then we'll kind of work through from there. So let's look at our, our full statement here. It's going to be on the screen. This is what we say we believe that Christian living is. The, the way that the people of God, the people of Jesus live. It says, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. Now listen, before I go on, I want you to really tune in to the, to the action statements, to the descriptors, to the things that you see, the, Christian, the, the, the marks, the characteristics of the Christian life. Because, I'll go ahead and say it now, uh, all of these statements come 
from Scripture. We didn't just make them up. We didn't just kind of make observations over time of the church and say this is what it is. This is rooted in Scripture. And again, we're not going to take the time to work through every text to show you kind of where it's rooting. We have put together a resource for that. It's on our website. If you have our app, you can access it through there. If you're on the Uversion Bible app event right now that's live, you, there's a link there for it, okay? Like I, I, I don't just say, hey, it would be cool if. I, would, I say go and read through every one of those this week. Because we want our rootings to be in, in Scripture. But as we read this now, know that these convictionally come from Scripture. And I want you to key in on all the, the, the key characteristics and the calls to action. Because it's, it's really important to keep those in mind as we work through how we're going to work through this today. So how about we start from the top again. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his, from his sanctifying power and purpose. It's the work of Christ, if you remember. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. So whether that's familiar words or not, I'd imagine if it was, um, you know, it has to be compelling. It sounds compelling, even if you don't register with everything that, every, that it all means. Like I said, we're not going to break down the entire statement today. We're not going to talk through each article, each, each charge, each characteristic. And there's two reasons. First, because we've covered a lot already. We're covered, we, we've covered a lot of this statement already in our previous sermons, working through our statement of faith. We've talked about who is God. We've talked about the work of Christ. We've talked about scriptures, God's word. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about the church last week. So again, they're, they're, the, that's there. You can go back, and I please encourage you to, to go back and listen to those. Um, so that's one of the reasons. Also, one is just for time. Uh, there's just so many things that are equally important to try to just to hone in on one or two would leave out some other ones that are extremely important. And again, we, we want to encourage you to that personal pursuit and study. So go read those, share it with one another. So today, we're going to acknowledge this. Like I said, everything that we saw in that statement comes from Scripture. So uh, we can have that assuredness. Uh, and then with that assumption, we can say this, Christian living, which is this way of life for the Christ follower, is from Scripture, which we believe is the very Word of God, which is His heart, His mind, and His mouth, and that it expresses His will, love, and character. So it's the very way of life laid out by God for us, His people. So you may have heard me just say this word, us. Right, and I'll tell you here at the bridge, we typically try to avoid us and them because we don't think it's helpful, and we don't really think it's 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 all that. It's nearly is. There's not this. There's only one division: those who are in Christ and those who aren't. And so that is the us today. Today, this message is charged towards those who have made the good confession of who Christ is to them. They believed in their heart that he is Lord, and they confess with their mouth that he is raised from the dead, and they are saved, and they are drawn into his family. This message today is directed to those, um, but it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. On the contrary to that, it is invitational. If you find yourself in here and you're like, I'm not one of those people. I am not the us today. I'm, I'm the them. You're not excluded. This is invitational. Just as every, everyone that could say that we are in Christ, we once were not. 
We once were needing to heed this invitation into life and grace and forgiveness. And so it is only because of God's work and our surrender that we can say that we belong. And so it is exclusive in the fact that it's positionally we have been adopted as sons and daughters in Christ, but it is not exclusive in that it is unattainable for you. If Christ is calling, you can be uh, one of his. So there there are responsibilities in this teaching, and they're binding for those, uh, again, who have the call of Christ and who acknowledge him as Jesus as Lord. So today, again, for the Christian, hear this as a word directly to you. For those who are seeking, asking, doubting, um, I, I invite you, ponder the meaning of life. Listen to the purpose and promise of a life given by Jesus. This message is for all, even though it's directed to those who are the church. So today, to help us, what we're going to do is look at Paul's letter to the Hebrews, uh, and, and, and as we do this, uh, it is my hope that our hearts begin to be stirred and that our lives are emboldened to live out this life we just described. And, and, and this comes from, okay, so think about Christian living. It is the very life that is expressed in Christ, the very life we saw lived out by Christ, and as, as well as the life that he has empowered us to live out as we live to live obedient lives. So this is a call to obedience really today. So we're going to look at Hebrews 3, starting in verse 13. We're going to look at actually a pretty good chunk of Scripture. We're going to go all the way to verse uh, 7 of chapter 4. And, uh, and I pray that this uh, finds roots in our heart. So uh, feel free to read with us on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles or your apps. If you have the Version app going, it's there. Um, if, you need, if you don't have any of that, there's a Bible underneath a chair near you. Uh, feel free to use that. And if you don't have a Bible, you can have that. Uh, that's our gift to you. Um, so, giving a breath to let us get there, we're going to read this entire text, Hebrews 3, 13 through, uh, 3.13 through 4.7. All right. It says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to him, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have, we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's a lot in there, and I know some of it just may be lost 
so we're going to spend some time to kind of dig into what that, kind of what the roots of this message from Paul is are. Uh, so we, what we see in our statement of faith is a summation of the way of life for the Christ follower. It's described in our statement of faith, and, and we see that it comes from God's commands, as I already said. It comes from his scripture. And so when we think about the way that this passage starts in Hebrews, we see this first verse, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 13, says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what, when it says exhort one another, it's saying, hey, compel each other, encourage one another, you know, come alongside one another and exhort them in truth. Exhort one another to act on this faith that is yours. Act on the truth that has been given you to live out. Act on these commands commands that are given you as a Christ follower, as a people of God. So it's saying that first and foremost, first and foremost out of the gates, it is a call to obedience, and that's right in line with the opening statement of our statement of faith, too, that there is a willful work of living and fighting for the obedient life. Now you're like, Heath, what does that mean? So we're going to come to a second looking at the, the Hebrews, the people of Israel being the people of God. And we're going to see why Paul goes to this. Because what we have to understand is that out of the gates in Hebrews, Paul here is making a charge to the people of the church, to those who have called on Christ. If you back up in these verses just before 3.13, Paul is exalting Jesus as a better deliverer than Moses. Moses delivered the people out of Egypt, out of that slavery. Jesus, and, and they, they came out of slavery, but yet... We'll hear some of the story of what happened. Jesus' deliverance is eternal once for all. No more sacrifices needed. And so he's, he's exalting Jesus as a better deliverer. He's saying Jesus is a better Moses. And so he's saying it's all about Jesus. And he's saying this is the way to follow Jesus. Make your life a life that patterns Jesus. Make your life a life that shows Jesus. Make your life a life that, that, that acknowledges that he is your redeemer and deliverer. Not Moses. And he's saying, don't let each other let up. He's saying, don't let each other get complacent, lackadaisical, selfish, cynical. He says, remember, you are the people of Jesus. Now, he, this is interesting because he's talking, he's saying this twofold. He's talking to those who have acknowledged Christ as the Messiah, but he's also talking to the, the people of Israel who were the promised people that Messiah came from. So he's saying, you know, you are not just the promised people that the promise came to as the people of Israel. You are also the people of Jesus, the ones who have been, may new, have acknowledged, again, the work of Christ. So he's saying, don't just think about it the way it was, but now uh, you are a people of Jesus. So what does that mean? Don't let up. He's saying, call each other to live a life worthy of your calling, like we see in Ephesians 4. He's saying, seek to live out the way of life God gave you to live out. He's saying, abide in his love and his will. Compel each other to good works. Live sacrificially and be generous. Support the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, those who have no voice and are destitute. All these things come, again, from, from the Scripture that we see. The way, uh, the, the, again, as you work through uh, our statement, you'll see all these texts. We're not just, again, making observations. These are the ways of life laid out in the Word for us by the commands of God. So, so why would Paul call the present people, you know, the Jews, the Israelites that are following Christ, to remember where they came from and not to commit the same mistakes that the people of Israel did back in the day? Well, we'll talk, let's, let's talk about the mistakes they made, and maybe that will help. What is Paul 
talking about, what's happening in this text. So I'm just going to try to summarize in quick form kind of what Paul's talking about, what happened in the history of the people of Israel. So again, Paul, this letter is to the Israelites, to the Hebrews, to the Jews. These are the people that God's covenant, his promise was delivered to and through. It started with the, the, the covenant to Abraham, that through him, there would be a, his family would be a multitude, and through him, there would become the blessing for the whole world. They would be blessed so that the whole world could be blessed, and that, that culminated in Jesus, the Messiah, coming through his family lineage. So these are the people, the people of the covenant promise. And part of that promise that came from Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, and then to Moses, was that they would inherit the promised land. That was part of it. So Paul, he's referring to the people of Israel, and he's talking about this, the time of period that happened after the exodus from Egypt. Now, maybe you've read Exodus, maybe you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt. This is what we're talking about. You know, Moses in the burning bush, calling to Pharaoh, let my people go, taking the people out of that season. So what happened? How do we get there? Why does this matter so much? The deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt was part of God, fulfill, of God fulfilling a covenant that he had made around 400 years earlier with Abraham. You know, and again, then it flowed through Isaac, Abraham's son, then through Jacob, Isaac's son, and on to Judah, and then on to Moses, and so on. So it was this promise, like I said, that through the offspring of Abraham would come the multitude of God's family and the Messiah. So the people of Israel had ended up in Egypt from up in this region northeast of there. They'd ended up in there through favorable circumstances. And I say favorable because it worked out well, but it happened through some calamity. Maybe you've heard the story of this guy named Joseph whose brothers were jealous because he had a colorful coat and his dad liked him more. And so they threw him in a well and then they sold him. You remember that story? Does anybody know that? So that's kind of, that's how, so then Joseph ended up in Egypt. He, he had favor, but then he was framed by uh, the official's wife, who then said he tried to, tried to uh, get with her and ended up in jail. That was the most appropriate wording I could figure out in the moment. Ended up in jail while he was in jail, interpreted dreams for a couple of guys that worked uh, that worked in Pharaoh's house, and then and he said, remember me, but they, then they forgot him, and then two years later, Pharaoh had dreams he couldn't figure out, went to all his people to help him figure out the dreams they couldn't, and then, they re, then finally they remembered this guy in jail that, that told them these dreams that were fulfilled, so then he said, bring that guy to me, J and Joseph came to Pharaoh, interpreted his dreams that, hey, you're going to have seven years of plenty, and during those years of plenty, store up all this food, because after that is coming seven years of great famine, and not only will all that you've stored up up, sustain you, but then it will also give you greater influence and power in the region because all of the regions around you will have that same famine and they'll have to come to you to buy food. So Joseph ends up in, care of, in charge of all that Pharaoh had. The only thing that Pharaoh didn't give him was the throne. And so Joseph's in this great place of power and then through some crazy circumstances, Joseph's brothers and his family come to, to Egypt to buy food. They don't recognize Joseph. He recognizes them. Long story short, they end up all moving to Egypt with great favor. Pharaoh's like, hey, give them the best land. Give them a ton of stuff. And they end up taking place in Egypt. So now the entire tribe of Jacob, all 12 tribes, they all come. This is all the brothers. They're the, they're the leaders of all the tribes of Israel again. Um, anyway, so they all come to Egypt. They're all living there. That, all that they had, all their, all their descendants, Every one of them in Egypt, there were 70 of them, plus all their workers and all of their, 
livestock and all of their belongings were in Egypt and they took residence there. And it says that it went great for them. They prospered and they multiplied across the land. And it says all of them, pa- all of them died. All the brothers died. Time passed. Pharaoh came and Pharaoh went. And it came to this day when there was a Pharaoh that knew nothing of Joseph and what he had done for Egypt. And he got nervous about the people of Israel. He got nervous that there were so many of them, and if war ever came, they would side with somebody else, and that they would be used to overpower the, the standing of Egypt. So then, he, he, in his impudence, he goes and he, he enslaves the people of Israel and Egypt. And then, he, but it said, Scripture says, the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So they're just still, they're just going, they're spreading everywhere. So now it gets more drastic, and it gets more sinister, and Pharaoh's like, hey, kill all, he, 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 uh, he commands all the maidservants to kill any boy that's born, and they fear God, and they wouldn't do it. So then he's like, all right, well, we'll just do it ourselves, and he commanded every son to be thrown into the river. And this is where maybe you've heard of the story of Moses' mom putting him in a basket, her, him floating down the river, and then Pharaoh's uh, house, his, his uh, sister finding, finding, uh, finding Moses. And so then Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh. And, and so he ends up being royalty. And then what happens, right? So Moses then... His heart is turned for his people. He knows it's not hidden that he's a Hebrew. It's not hidden that he's an Israelite. But his heart is turned for his people, and he sees the oppression of his people. And one day he sees, he sees an Egyptian guard beating an Israelite. And, he, and, in, and in his anger, he goes and he, he kills the guard, and then he hides it. And then the next day, there's two, two Hebrews arguing, and he goes to break it up, and they say, well, what, are you going to kill us like you killed that guy? And then he gets scared because he sees his actors out in the open. He goes and hides, right? You've heard that part of the story. This is when he goes and lives in Midian for a few decades. In this time, he sees this bush that burns, doesn't consume. God speaks to him through it, and he says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. I've heard they're crying out. I've heard they're crying. They're groaning. They're weeping, and I'm going to respond. Go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. After some arguing, some Moses saying, I'm not your guy. He says, well, use Aaron as your mouthpiece. He goes. Long story short, plagues come. Pharaoh gets brought to his knees because the last plague was the taking of the firstborn son, which include Pharaoh's son. And he says, fine, get out of here. I can't take it. Sends the, every person, the people of Israel, all of the Hebrews out of Egypt. But then his anger roll, his anger boils up. He can't let him go. He raises the entire army and chases after him. This is where you hear the story of them on the side of the water, the, the pillars of fire. I mean, it's dramatic. Think about the people of Israel, thousands upon thousands, being sent out in these crazy, miraculous ways, seeing the pillars of fire by night. And, and then all of a sudden, the waters part, and they go through the sea, and they make it out, and then the waters collapse, swallowing up the entire army, so they're delivered. Pretty amazing stuff. I mean, would you be in awe of God? I submit the answer would be yes. This is just after this is when we see the first praise song in Scripture and their response of just gratitude for the work of God to deliver them. They've been crying out for years. And finally they're free. You would think it'd be a happy ending. you think it would go well from there. I mean, how can you walk away from that? But if you think about what we just read, Paul is talking about these people. And it didn't go well, right, from what we just read. 
what happened? They're out there, and they, they complain about everything. First, it's, it's the water's bitter. Oh, gosh, that's all they care about, the water. So then God makes the water sweet. Then it's like we're, you know, we're hungry. And so then God provides meat of quail and manna from the air. It just falls down. And, they, and they, they're like, oh, great. And then, and then they're mad again. Oh, we're thirsty. And then they say this. It would have been like, why did you bring us out here? Just to bring us out, like, you just brought us out here just to die. Like pretty much saying it would have been better if you'd have left us in our slavery and oppression in Egypt. They had forgotten all that had been done. They had forgotten who they were. So Paul is speaking to these people, these very people that were the promised people of God, that were, where God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. Through you, I will be a blessing to the entire nations because through you, the deliverer will come, Jesus, the Messiah. And they were, they were moving towards the promise. They were released, moving back to the promised land in that present time that they were awaiting for that to be fulfilled. It was moving back up to the, to the northeast where they came from. And this, there was this promised land that was to be their inheritance. And they were supposedly on their way, right? I mean, that was what they were released for. They end up in this season of wilderness. And then it goes to, to Moses going up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And he's like, hey, these people are being prepared to be a nation of priests. And he goes and he's, he's preparing them to come before God and they rebel. What do they do? They create a golden calf. They create idols to worship in their impatience and their selves and they rebel. And God, so then there's a judgment on them. So Paul is saying they forgot who they were. They denied, they rebelled against truth. Now here's some key things. Did they stop being the people of promise in their rebellion? Did they stop being God's chosen people? Was the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, did they lose that standing? Did they lose that purpose, that role? No. What we see is this generation, the generation that rebelled, they didn't get to, to, to step into their rest, as our passage says. They missed out, but God's promise was fulfilled. So, how does this come to us today? Why is Paul, in, in calling us to the supremacy of Christ, he's speaking to those who are Christ followers, whose work of atoning for our sin, making us new, is complete and incorruptible. Why is Paul saying, beware of your disbelief, for you will not enter rest? How does this apply to us? How does this come into our thoughts of what Christian living is? The life expressed for Christ. So like I said, Paul is first and foremost pointing out that Jesus is a greater deliverer. That's the, we don't want to miss that. That it's all about Jesus. But then as he turns his attention to the way of life to the Hebrews, to the Israelites, we see ourselves here so like i said if if the work of christ is permanent if it's eternal if it's incorruptible what do we do with verses verse 15 from chapter 3 and verse 7 from chapter 4 these are both this is the same thing today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion what's paul saying 
what God said, he's already saying, he's saying, don't be like the people of Israel, the people of promise that forgot. You'll experience what they did. So what did they experience? Verses, verse 19 from chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6 from chapter 4 say this, 19 first. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fell to enter because of disobedience. Let me read that again. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in his passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news fell to enter because of disobedience. So first, we have to recognize that God's promise to the people of Israel was fulfilled. Like I already said, they did eventually make it to the promised land. The nation of Israel made it to the promised land. They did, and then they did see the Messiah come through them. So God's promise continued. They saw the promised land. They saw the Messiah come. God's covenant promise to them as a people was fulfilled. So what Paul is pointing out is that those in that generation that rebelled in their disbelief, they missed out in participating in the riches of God's will. God was working as His way for the people of Israel for their deliverance. These missed out. While they were always a part of the people, they missed out. But God continued His work. So Paul uses that framework which is absolutely familiar to the audience he's teaching as Hebrew Christ followers, to teach us. Paul is saying that we, he's not saying we can lose our salvation. Let's make sure to say that right. He's not saying we can lose our salvation. The saving work of Christ cannot be overcome. It is a complete internal victory, eternal victory like we've said. So when we look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So what Paul is saying is that although our hope is secure and our redemption is complete, don't miss out on the present purpose and promise of living a life that is submitted to the will and way of God given in his truth, given in his word, given in our scriptures. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, that's Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what we're working our way to now, what we see that Paul is saying is that the life that, that lives with a soft, pliable, responsive, and bold heart to the truth of God is the one that will know the riches of his blessing, this life to the full, the life that we all seek, the life that matters, the life that we started in talking about that, we, that the heart of hearts pursues. He's saying that while you're, while you're right confession that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised from the dead achieves your forgiveness, your redemption, your atonement, the, and your ultimate deliverance secured in that, your present experience of that blessing and promise comes through participation. Now, I don't mean this is a works-based faith. Hear me right. Jesus achieved your right standing. Jesus did the work for you that God could look at you and say, innocent. 
Jesus is the one who stood before as your advocate and justified you, redeemed you, made you new. Every bit of that is from Christ. That secures an eternal hope that sustains every day. That work is complete. So this life to the full comes through this commitment to living out the promise and work of Christ, the, the, the life expressed of the people of Jesus. The experience of the life to the full comes through that obedient life. Uh, as we started off with verse 13 of chapter 3, we see 13 and 14 echoes the great commission that was mentioned in our statement of faith that we see in Matthew 28, the last words that Jesus left his disciples and to the church, you and me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was what Jesus left us with saying, pursue, grow in your understanding, walk in obedience, and teach others all that you have been taught, taking the light of Christ to the world, introducing people to Jesus, and walking alongside them so that they can do the same. All for God's glory, Hebrews 3, 13 and 14. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the life lived for Christ, this thing called Christian living, is a life that is, is a response to the work of Christ in your life, a life that is coming alongside saying, you know, as we talked about, I think it was last week, that as we, as we die with Christ, just as he was laid in the grave, we are also raised from the grave to new life with him. And this new life is one that is lived out now and for all eternity. So that is, that's what we're charged with is to live out who Christ made you to be, to willfully work to live obedient lives as laid out in Scripture. We need to be a people of the Word. We need to be a people that fellowship in the Word together because that is how we can point each other to the God-honoring and glorifying life, to the life that, that expresses who we were meant to be, and that is the life to the full. That is the life of promise. That is the life that actually gets to participate in the promise worked in us. So today, I love the, the, the language of today in this text. So we'll say this, and this is for all of us. For those, again, seeking, those doubting, questioning, or just that say, I don't believe this, who have not acknowledged Christ as Savior, today is possibly the day of salvation. If Jesus is calling, respond. For those who are in the church, today is the day to live out your salvation and obedience. As the word says, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. So let us come to the word, understanding how we are to live, and commit to pursue that, and to compel one another to that, to call each other to that, knowing that it's for God's glory and our good. That is Christian living. This week, let's truly go through these texts, read them, pray through them, share them with one another. I mean, like, before you leave today, Set some time with someone to go and talk through this stuff. We, it's transforming, it's life-giving, and it's God-glorifying. Let me pray. God, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that 
Because of Him, I have hope. Because in your love, you sent Jesus to live the life that I couldn't, to die the death that I should have, so that His righteousness could be mine. Lord, I thank you for calling. I thank you for convicting of sin. Lord, I pray that that conviction would, would call all to a, a surrender and acknowledgement of Christ as Jesus, as, as Messiah and Lord. Lord, I pray that that conviction would lead those who are in Christ to a purposeful, passionate, humble, sacrificial, generous life. Lord, living out faithfully what you have given us in your word, what you have shown us in your word and shown us in the life of Christ. Lord, uh, we surrender our lives to you. Lord, give us great unity as we, as we saw Paul uh, exhorting us to a unity of, of faith and belief and action. Lord, I pray that now these words that we've looked, that this truth that we've gone through, Lord, would, would take root in our hearts, Lord. Again, that it would, be go, it would go beyond my words, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate. Lord, uh, as we continue into this time of communion, Lord, let us remember well the work of Christ. Let us be humble and celebrative. And Lord, let it be a charge that sends us out into the world to live out and proclaim the salvation that is in Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.